All right, are you ready for God's Word? Are, are you ready for the actual sermon? All right, we are kicking off a new series today called Homecoming, somebody, Homecoming. Um, yeah, and uh, so grab your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, um, and in Luke chapter 15 is like one of my favorite uh, passages, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with sinners, yeah, this is another thing about our church that is my heart from the very beginning. Sinners should love to hang out here. Not because they can stay the same, but because they're not condemned. Like God loves you where you're at, but he loves you so much he will not leave you there. Are you with me? And so, and so Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. I don't know why tax collectors and sinners were typically put together, but yet... Um, Created into two categories, like you could be a sinner or you could be a tax collector. Just let that sit with the government. Anyway, so, um, and, and he is hanging out with sinners and he is eating an extended meal with sinners. And, it, and the Pharisees get indignant. And so Jesus tells three stories um, he tells about a lost a shepherd who had lost one sheep and left 99 to find the one, a widow who had 10 coins who had lost one and swept the house to find the one, and then a father had two sons and one left home and then returned. And so we know that last story as the prodigal son. It is, it is like the, the most famous probably of the parables of Jesus and that's the one I want to talk about. Now, you need to understand that the father is in all three uh, parables. He is the shepherd, he is the widow, and he is the father. You also, if, you know, I believe in the Trinity. So um, the, the shepherd, Jesus is the great shepherd. There's the son. The Holy Spirit many times uh, is depicted as, a, um, as the comforter or consoler. So you could say not that he is feminine, uh, he is neither masculine. Well, he is masculine and feminine. He is God. And, but anyways, but but the picture of the widow is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And then the father is is the father. And so we're going to dive into the second half of the text. All four uh, have four events in them. There is something lost. There is a search. There is a recovery. And there is rejoicing. All three, all, all three stories have those four those four parts. And so Luke 15, I'm going to read the whole thing in case you're not familiar with it. Um, if nothing else, have because no telling what I may pull out of here, but Luke 15, um, verse 11 says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So the father divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. By the way, all of this is offensive to the Pharisees. Just about every part of every one of these stories is offensive. Even when he says, um, I tell you, there'll be this much rejoicing over one sinner who, who is saved. Essentially, the Pharisees had a, a saying that there will be great rejoicing when one sinner is destroyed. So when he reframes it that there will be great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner is found, it was offensive. Feeding pigs when you're a Jew is offensive. So 
Anyways, Jesus was really good at offending religious people. And he went, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of these hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran. This is the only place in the entire Bible where we see God run, which is towards one of his sons, who has screwed up royally, but had decided to come home. And yet you feel like God judges you when you mess up. No, he's waiting to run. Make me like one of your hired servants. Still a great ways off. He ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. And this, by the way, the, the fact that the father would run to this son, fall on his neck as it is, and kiss him was offensive. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on and put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. This is how we know this took place in Texas. Because they're about to have a barbecue. No peta, no vegans. Barbecue. Because you can anoint it with barbecue sauce. He said, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead, dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found, and they begin to make merry. Now the older son was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. It is a great party when you can hear it before you get there. When you can hear dancing before you see it, that's a party, friend. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things mean. And he said, your brother's coming because he's received him safe. Your father's killed the fatted calf. We're having a barbecue. We're having a party. And he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded and said, he said to his father, Lo, I've been with you all these years. I've never transgressed your commandment. Now I can tell you he's actually lying right here at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I would make merry with my friends. Number one, it said divided to them his livelihood. So he's lying. He had received a young goat. And number two, he said, I've never transgressed your commandment. And the father said, I want you to go into the party. And he said, no. But as soon as... This son of yours comes who's devoured your livelihood with harlots. You kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be, make Mary and be glad for your brother was dead. and He's alive again. He was lost and he is found. I called this message because the series is homecoming. I called this one the away game, the away game. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you for if you don't speak, this is a waste of everyone's time. So we ask that you would speak clearly, clearly today. In fact, don't let me say anything, God, that you don't want said. And help me to say everything that you do want said in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The away, the away game. I just want to contextualize this, that the story is about a son who knew the father, who was at home with the father, who chose to leave the father and crashed and burned. It is not about a lost person who never knew the father. And so I just want you to understand that when we're talking today, we, we're, we're, talking, we're talking about people who have had an encounter with God or known God or been around God, but chose to leave God. And I would say everyone is guilty of this, and I'll come back to explain why. 
But I also feel like today, listening today, whether in this room or online, there are people who have known God, who have been close to God, who have been home with God, and for whatever reason, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, for whatever reason, truthfully, right now, you're away from God. Not that you don't know who He is, not that you don't know about Him, but you have moved away from His presence. In fact, there are two sons, and neither of them are enjoying the presence of God. One because of sin, and one because of religion. And so what, what I was thinking about this, I, I want to talk about what is it? Why do we move away from the presence of the Father? What causes us, sons and daughters of God, who have known God, who, who have been in church or been around God or know enough about the Father to know who he is, what is it about us that causes us to move away? What is the away game? What is the game that the enemy plays? What is the game that, that we get involved in that takes us away from home? And so I want to talk about, you write this down, two things. Number one, number one, what's the away game? Here's where the away game starts, I think, is we prioritize blessing over presence. Like, how do we finally get to that place where, the, what is the away game? What is it that takes us away from home? How do we get to that place where we, we were able to leave home? What is it? We prioritize blessing above presence. Now, some of you, you can go home with that word. That was your word right there. Because that was the air of the Lord that stuck in the heart that said, man, I can tell you, I've been guilty of this one. I can tell you, I've lost, I've left home because of this one. We prioritize. This is what he said. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And then it says, and not many days after he left. He prioritized blessing over presence. I want to talk just a minute about the danger of grace. Because I love me some grace. And I can preach grace until every religious bone in your body gets offended. And I love to do it because grace is that good. Because what the grace of God says is that Jesus really paid all of your bill. That you have to pay none of your bill. In fact, you can't pay any of your bill. That he paid for all sin. Hebrews says that Jesus was the one sacrifice for all sin forever. Jesus has paid for every sin of the world. He has paid for all your sin, including the sin you haven't indulged in yet. If you sin tomorrow, he will not go back to the cross for he has already paid for the sin you're not even sure you're going to commit yet. This is how good grace is. And what's so good about grace is God is not expecting you to pay for your sin. 
God knows you can't pay for your sin. That was why the law was given and the whole covenant was given. The whole Testament exists to prove to us that we are unable to atone for our sin. We are unable to become one with God. We can't get, we can't be good enough. We can't get to him. We can't achieve a relationship. We can't earn a relationship because all of us are guilty of breaking the law. And according to James, if you've ever broken one part, if you've ever sinned one time, you broken the entire law and there is not a way for you in and of yourself and in and of your flesh to be made right with God and that is why he sent Jesus and Jesus came in your place a perfect man he lived a perfect life and then he became the atoning sacrifice that took all the judgment and all the condemnation of every sin of every person who will ever breathe and he took it to the cross and he paid for it and because he paid for it you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for the sin you used to commit. You don't have to pay for the sin you've yet to commit. He paid it all. And now I'm made right with God, not because I'm good, but because he's good. In fact, I'm not made right with God because of anything I do at all. I'm made right with God because I simply believe Jesus paid it all. That the Bible says that now, just like Abraham, it said Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. I can tell you this, people do not go to hell because of sin. Sin has been dealt with. Sin has been paid for. People go to hell because they do not believe in Jesus. Abraham believed God and it was accounted as righteousness. The, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, Paul's writings, especially Romans chapter four, tells us that now we have righteousness by faith, not by works. That we're made right with God because we believe in Jesus, not because we act right. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So that we don't, it's a gift. Righteousness is a gift you receive when you believe. It's not a goal you achieve. And that's how good grace is. Grace removes presence from performance. Under the old covenant, my performance was supposed to get me to God's presence. Under the new covenant, now it is the performance of Jesus. We have been given access by one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2 says. I have access to the Father. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what he did. And this, listen, this is the aim of grace. The aim of grace is uninterrupted fellowship between a father and his kids. In other words, God so wanted to be near you, he removed the only thing that could keep you from him, your sin. So that now, according to Hebrews, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy when we need it most. In other words, on your worst day, you have the same access to God's presence as you do on your best day. Because the access to God's presence is not contingent upon your performance, it's contingent upon your faith. This is how good God is. This is how good grace is. 
He took you out of the equation because we have a way of screwing things up. And he said, if he has to depend on our flesh, he'll never be able to be close to us. So he made a covenant with his son, a perfect covenant with the perfect second Adam who paid so that he could have a relationship with you that wasn't contingent upon you. That's how good grace is. That under grace, your performance is not what gets you into presence. It was Jesus' performance. Your performance does not save you. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care if you got up this morning at 5 o'clock and prayed in the Spirit for three hours before you came to church. It doesn't get you anymore in the presence of God. As someone who was swiping right on Tinder and acting stupid last night, and yet they came to church and they want to be in the presence of God, and they have expressed faith in Jesus, they get the same access. Because now, now I'm going to say something just to mess you up. If my performance cannot save me, then my performance cannot sentence me. Come on, you got to think about it. Like if this is where, come on, this is, come on, religious people, this is where we mess up. Oh, I know, I know, I got to believe in the grace of God. But then once I'm saved, I have a relationship with God because I behave right. No, the law says perform to get the presence, to get into, to gain access to the presence. Grace says you have access to the presence so that his spirit can teach you to perform right. But if, if your performance can't save you, your performance can't sentence you. So once I'm made right with God, I'm right with God as long as I believe in Jesus Christ, even if I do stupid stuff. And we all do. Are you with me? That's how good grace is. But listen, listen, listen. here's the other side of the coin. It's so good, it's dangerous. Because grace is so good because it doesn't depend on my performance. And because it doesn't depend on my performance, I can think that my behavior doesn't matter. I can even think that my behavior doesn't have consequence. I can even think that God owes me blessings even if I'm not planning on obeying him. Like grace is so good it can produce entitlement. Right? Like it is so good that, that it can produce entitlement. In fact, grace is so good it can be abused. We can actually choose we can choose to use grace as an excuse to move away from presence. Because we can say, well, God loves me and he doesn't want me to change and he doesn't need me to change because I'm saved by grace and we can actually use the grace of God to move away from God. And there's a generation doing it. And I'm not just talking about everybody's like, oh, it's the millennials, it's the extras. No, 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 there's boomers doing it too. 
Because grace is so good and we understand it just enough to be dangerous that we'll actually use. Listen, you can ask God for something that will actually take you away from him. Come on, Christian Mingle. And you know what's scary? Grace will actually provide something you ask for, knowing you will use it to move away from him. Because God is the most powerful person in the universe, but he is the least controlling. And that's why I say here, look at the prodigal son. Give me what belongs. Give me what's mine. And then he takes the goodness of the father and says, I'll see you. Keep it real. I'm going to Vegas, baby. DM me if you need me. And I think if we're not going to take presents for granted, if you're not going to take presents for granted, listen to me, listen to me, then you have to switch these two. Then you have to say, I'm going to prioritize presents over blessing, meaning I'm going to pray even if he doesn't give me what I want. I'm going to show up at church even on the bad day where I don't feel like God did what I thought God should do. Where, where his presence is going to be enough even if he doesn't get to my list of things that I want. That God is a God on a throne, not a genie in a bottle. Like, like you, 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 have to, you have to switch. You got to understand. Listen, listen, listen. Salvation is free but costly, and we miss the message of salvation. Titus said, the grace of God teaches me to live righteously. So it's true. My performance doesn't get me or doesn't gain me presence, but the presence of God is given, and it gives me a nature. It starts changing who I am, and it changes my performance. The grace of God teaches me to live righteously. I don't, I don't, I don't become righteous and then get a relationship with God. No, no, no. The relationship with God makes me righteous so I can live righteously. Grace gives me a choice because now I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Grace does not give me an excuse to do stupid things and say, well, God's so good, I can be an idiot. No, that's grace abuse. And here's what I can tell you. When, when, when the abuse of grace is present, the fear of the Lord is absent. That seemed quotable. I'm just as shocked as you are. And so here's what we have to do. We have to reprioritize. Listen, it's a discipline in our mind. Like we have to shift something to say, God, your presence is enough. I remember when your presence is enough. And if you ever get to my stuff, whether you do or don't, your presence is enough. Like, God, I will surrender. You cannot have salvation without surrender. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I am crucified. The problem with the modern church is we want resurrection, but no one wants to go through a crucifixion. We want the power of the resurrection but no one wants to die and the message of salvation is you get to trade in your life of death for his resurrection life of power that's the message you gotta make the trade you have to surrender and then you prioritize presence above blessing 
Like, will you live for God if he never answers one of your prayers the right way according to you? Will you pursue God if he never does what you want him to do? Will God be enough? Will his face be enough if you never see his hand give you what you want? You reprioritize presence over blessing. Here's the second thing, home, the way game, what takes us away? So the first one is we prioritize blessing over presence, and we need to prioritize presence over blessing. That's the first. Here's the second thing, the, the, the away game that takes us away is hanging on to sin. Y'all better brace yourselves and warn the 11 because I'm about to talk about sin, and we're not supposed to talk about sin in church anymore because it makes people feel uncomfortable. That's okay. Why is it we don't worry about how our sin makes God feel uncomfortable? Y'all are never going to let me take a break again. <laughs> Luke 15, 13, it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal, prodigal living. Now, we don't use the word prodigal. In fact, most people, when they see prodigal in the text, they think that's the reason why the son came home. Oh, prodigal means you come home. No, 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 no. Prodigal is the explanation for why he left. If you look up the word prodigal for a definition, you can find some definitions. You're going to find things like um, wild, reckless, debaucherous, right? But in one of the Bible dictionaries, it gave this one word definition for prodigal. This one word definition for prodigal, which was dissolutely. Anybody use that word a lot? Dissolutely. I didn't know what dissolutely meant. I was like, dissolutely. Does that mean it dissolves in water? Dissolutely. So, so I had to go look up dissolutely, which is an adverb. And then and the definition of dissolutely, then it pointed me to dissolute, which is an adjective. And I looked up dissolute, and all of a sudden it made sense to me. Because dissolute means lacking restraint. And I realized this is the away game right here, folks. This is why we leave. We prioritize blessing over presence. And we have an area in our life that we don't restrain. We don't deal with. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore also since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And look at this, look at this. And the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run. Here's something you need to know about you if you don't. You have a sin that easily ensnares. Let me say it another way. You got to easily sin. You've got an easily sin. We all do. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know what it is, I can tell you who does. The devil because he's been studying you. And if you don't know the sin that so easily ensnares you, I can guarantee you he knows and he's using it. It's the away game. You see, the reason we leave home 
is because of something in us that was never dealt with, that was never taken to the cross, that was never taken to the Father. And we have this thing that is in us. And let me tell you something. Your easily sin is not the same as your husband's easily sin or your friend's easily sin. No, 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 no. We have easily sins that are unique to us. It is all about your area of brokenness, not theirs. James 1.14 says, I'm going to give you another scripture, but each one is tempted. Check this out. How are we tempted? Because the devil's so bad. Well, he is so bad. But what does he tempt you with? And when he is drawn, drawn away, the away game. When he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed by what? His own desires. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings about death. This is the away game. Is that the easily sin, the one that the enemy knows you have, that's the one he works with. That's the one he uses to draw us away. To, to, he uses our own desires against us. Now, I'm about to say something that's probably going to upset the world, but I don't care. I mean, I do care, but I just care about answering to God more than you. Because one of the things I hear in our culture so much, besides I'm living my own truth, which is absolute insanity, <laughs> It's more, I can't even get into that. Truth has to be absolute by definition. So everybody can't have an absolute truth. Everybody can have an absolute delusion, but they can't have an absolute truth. So you can't live your truth. No, you're, you're living your delusion and, and deciding to live in denial because that's more comfortable. And if that's what you pick, just tell the truth. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what truth is. Say that. But don't try to justify your sin and insanity and wickedness by putting the label of truth on it because you can't decide what truth is. I was, I'm going to get worse. It's going to be worse. <laughs> I love you. I'm your friend. One of the arguments that I hear, especially around the conversation of what I'm going to call gender dysphoria, is, and, and even alternate lifestyles. Oh, yeah, I'm about to go there. But not in a condemning way. Not at all. Like, if, if you're here and you're, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, I, I'm so sorry. I want to be your friend. I love you and I want to help you. And let me tell you the best way I can help you is, is I have to tell you the truth, but not in a mean way. Now, let me back up and say, if you're not a Christian, what I'm about to say doesn't apply to you because you're an unbeliever. And when you're an unbeliever, you live by what you desire. This is the marked difference between an unbeliever and a believer. An unbeliever, we live by our soul. Whatever we want, whatever we desire, we're our own God. But a believer... You surrendered your life, and you're supposed to live based on his wants and his desire and his truth. So I'm going to talk to Christians right now. I'm not going to talk to unbelievers. And if you're a Christian and you're like, I don't understand, you know, gender, I'm just not sure. One of the arguments that I've heard from Christians who are choosing an alternate lifestyle, who are, who are, who are trying to determine their gender, is they say, well, 
How could it be wrong if it just feels this way? Let me help you with something with one phrase. I can back it up from the Bible. Human desire has never produced the righteousness of God. Nor is human desire ever produced the standard of God. Go to the garden right after the fall. Cain desires to kill Abel. It just felt right. It just seemed right. God called it murder. I know it feels right and seems right that it's a woman's body and it's her choice. God calls it murder. I didn't come today to win friends. Are you with me? And so lovingly, 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 let me tell you something. If I acted on everything I desired, I would not be here today. I would be in prison. Because the human desires that I have had in my life not only would have transgressed God's law, but it would have transgressed the law of the United States of America. There are things in my life right now that I need to let God handle because if I handled them, I'd straight up be in jail. Are you with me? And so what I understand about Christianity, about following Jesus, is I surrender my desires to him. I let his presence permeate my being and change the way that I feel. Just because it feels right does not make it right. And now we did lovingly, lovingly. We have a, a generation of people who are saying, well, I identify as this and I identify and I understand that because we want to know so badly who we are. And I understand that because emotions and feelings can be so confusing sometimes. Like I understand I have lived in this world too and not 100% successfully. I have done some stupid stuff in my life. I am qualified to be your pastor because I guarantee you I have been more screwed up than you are. But let me help you with something that I know is if I want to know who I am, I can't look to my feelings. And if I want to know who I am, I can't look to my emotion and I sure can't look to culture. I have to look to my creator. And God says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I had a plan for you. And I need to stop trying to identify with my feelings and start trying to identify with my God. Are you with me? Here's why we leave home, and I think you need to understand this. Because we're three parts. You're a body, soul, and a spirit. And God created your body to relate to creation. He created your spirit to relate to Him. And He created your soul to relate to Him and His creation. Now you're sitting there, well, why do we leave, why do we leave home? Because when you are saved, how did Adam die? He died immediately in his spirit progressively in his soul and ultimately in his body. How are we regenerated by grace because of Jesus? We're saved immediately in our spirit, but then progressively in our soul and ultimately in our body, right? He has perfected, Hebrews 10, he has perfected forever, okay? That's talking about our spirit. Those who are being sanctified, that's talking about our soul. Paul says one day corruption will put on incorruption. That's talking about our body. So when we're born again, the part of us that is born again is our spirit. But we still got a jacked up soul. 
We got a soul that's been programmed by culture, programmed by desire, programmed by emotion. Listen, you were never designed to relate to God apart from your spirit. And when your spirit is dead, the only way you understand and interact with God in creation is body and soul. What you can, your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, what you can think, what you can feel, and the choices that you can make. It's why people who are away from God, well, I don't understand God. You can't understand God. The Bible doesn't, the Bible says this, by faith, this is Hebrews 11, by faith we understand. Understanding doesn't bring you to faith. Faith brings you to understanding. And when you're separated from God, when your soul is dead and your spirit is dead and you don't have God's influence and you don't have a way, you don't know the mind of God and you don't know the heart of God, you are left to try to figure this out with your soul. I have a friend of mine who's an atheist and he said, I can't serve God because I just can't understand him. My response was, if you could understand him, he would not be God. You would be. I don't want a God that I can understand because if I can relegate and somehow compartmentalize and completely understand God with my finite capability, he is no longer infinite and no worth, no longer worthy to be God. No, 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 no. I don't have faith because I understand. I understand because I have faith. Are you with me? But because we're three parts, listen, Christians, and your spirit is saved and your soul is being saved. This is why you're in a life group. This is why you serve. This is why you kill your flesh because your soul is still alive. Your soul, let me say it this way, your spirit's been regenerated, but your soul takes some time to get straightened out. And it's still got some messed up desires. Like, I understand I have a friend who struggled with homosexuality his whole life, and he would say, telling me to not desire to be with another man is like telling you to not desire to be with a woman. I get it. So the, the church's stupid message of just stop it, well, if that worked, none of us would ever sin. Oh, you shouldn't sin. Why? You should just stop it. Oh, well, I'm better. The reason I have a job is because your soul needs to be regenerated by the Spirit. And this is a process of surrendering your thoughts and your will and your emotions back to the Spirit. And letting the Spirit change the way you think. Change the way you feel. This is what Peter says when he talks about... Um, 2 Peter 1, 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What do human desires apart from God cause? Corruption. How do you escape it? His divine nature. What has grace done? Given me access to the nature of God to influence my nature so I can escape the corruption that is in the world. You don't have grace so you can participate in the world's corruption. You have grace so you can escape it. Why are you yelling so much? I don't know. This just feels like one of those sermons where it should be loud. So, so, so what do we do? What do we do? <clears throat> we've got to make the presence of God first. And we've got to deal with sin. Listen to me, Christians. Before you get on social media, 
and blow up the world for their sin. Why don't we deal with ours? Peter, Peter said, it is time for judgment to begin, but let it begin at the house of God. Before you post that political argument, before you blast a homosexual, why don't you ask God, what is in my heart that can take me away from you? Like, I wonder sometimes, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if the prodigal son, before he left, would have gone to the father and said, there's something in my heart that's not right. And I'm afraid it's going to take me away from you. Can you help me with it? Like, what would have happened in that moment? And I know sometimes when we have those, the old King James calls it besetting sin, the easy sin. We have the easy sin. Sometimes we feel like I've repented so much. God doesn't want to hear me again. Let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. He has more grace than you have sinned. God will never, never condemn anyone that runs to him. Like the the picture of God that's in this text, in all three, the search part, remember there's a loss, there's a search, there's a return, there's a rejoicing. The, The searching part was foreign to the religious people of the day because God didn't search for us. We were supposed to be searching for him. So the idea of a shepherd leaving 99 to go look for one and the idea of a widow laying aside nine coins to sweep and to look for one and the idea of the father running, the only place in the Bible we see a picture of the father running is to a son who has screwed up so royally, wasted inheritance, made every mistake he could make, but he came home and the father was waiting and looking and searching for him and God ran to him. And I'm telling you, I don't care how many times you have to go to God. He will run to you every time. He will search for you every time. He will look for you every time. Where sin abound, grace did much more abound. God always has more grace than you have sin. Don't use grace to move away from Him. Use grace to move towards Him. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Don't play the away game. Use grace and say, I'm a hot mess, but I'm coming to God. I'm a hot mess, but I'll repent every day. I remember when we first started the church, there was a man that came every week, and he got saved every week for about four months. And one of the staff said something not negatively about it. They said, you know, because they count, you know, we count people who accept Christ. Obviously, we want to know, want to follow up. And so we followed up with him every week, but I said, you know, in our numbers, we don't want to count. I mean, like he's saved. He's just getting it worked out. You know what I'm saying? Like we want to count him every week. That would be wrong. But I said, I want him to come every week till he knows for sure. I want him to come every week till he's got victory. I'm telling you, if you had to come to this altar every week, you come every week. God will run to this altar to meet you every week. God is not condemning you. He sent his son so he would never have to condemn you. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him and not perish would have eternal life. 
verse 17. God sent forth his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. Your father will never condemn you for coming to him because he's already condemned Jesus for the reason that you need to come to him. Why don't you stand with me? God, we just thank you for your presence. And God, we want to prioritize, as a church, as people, God, for me, I can speak for me. If nothing, I speak for me. God, I want to prioritize your presence over blessing, and I don't want to hang on to any sin that can take me away from you. I don't care how good grace is. I never want it to be a reason not to deal with sin. And so, God, today, today, God, we come to this altar in a new way to say, God, your presence is first. And we want to throw off every weight and lay aside every sin. And the sin we can't throw off will bring to you so you can get it off of us, so you can cleanse us, so you can heal us, so you can deliver us, so you can forgive us, so you can change us, so you can transform us. If you're in this room, your heads are bowed, eyes are closed, not looking around. I want to give two distinct appeals. And if you're watching online, don't turn off. It's the best part. I want to give two distinct appeals. The first one is this. If you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with God, and you want a relationship with God, whether you're at home or you're in this room, no one's looking around. I want to pray for you. And so you're like, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God. I need a relationship with God. That, that's what I want. And, and here's how you know. Here's how you know. Because the Holy Spirit is telling you. The nudge, the tug, the warmth, whatever it is you feel. The Holy Spirit has a way of communicating with us to get our attention. And if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, that's me. There's something in my stomach, whatever it is. Then, then I want to pray with you. You need a relationship with God. If you're alone, I want you to do this. If you're in the room, I want you to do this. I just want you to lift your hand and say, I need a relationship with God. Just lift it up. I need a relationship with God. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Awesome. Now, here's my second appeal. If you're in this room and you have a relationship with God, but you have moved away from the presence, and you know because the whole time preaching, you're like, oh, that's for me. Oh, that's for me. Oh, that's for me. You're a believer. You're a Christian, but you have moved away from the presence. I want you to lift your hand. Say, that's me. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. God bless you. Now I'm going to pray for all of us. I'm going to ask our prayer team to go ahead, if you will, make your way down here. We want to pray for you today if you need a relationship with God. We want to pray with you if you just need to move back to God. We want to pray with you today if you need healing in your body. We want to pray with you. But right now, I want to pray with those that lifted their hands. If you lifted your hand. Now, if you're in the second group, you tell God what you need to tell God right now. Because you said, hey, I've moved away from God, so you know how to pray. You know the Father. All you got to do to come home is repent. That's really all the, all the Sunday. He said, when he came to himself and said, oh, my gosh, I have run away from home. I got to go back home. So all you got to do is say, God, you know what? I moved away from you. I'm coming back home. But you work that out. Now, if you lifted your hand in the first group and you need a relationship with God, then you can repeat this prayer after me. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe in your son, Jesus. And I believe that he died and rose again. 
I believe he did that for me. And I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of where I've been wrong. Wash me and make me a new creation. Help me to follow you. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you in a minute to come forward and let us pray with you. Let us give you a Bible. We want to stand with you. If you're a new believer, we want to stand with you. We want to connect with you. We want to help you be successful as a follower of Jesus. This is our job. When someone accepts Christ, they're like a newborn baby, the Bible says, and, and we're the nursery. We're the nurses. We're the people that help you. So don't leave here and say, well, I prayed a prayer. No, 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 no. You come forward and let us stand with you. Let us get your information. Let us give you a Bible. Let us become your best friend to help you follow Jesus. Now, in that second group, I just want to pray for you too. God, for those today that said they moved away from you, Lord, I'm with them. I say, Lord, I, I moved away from you. I know what that's like, and I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive our church. I ask you to forgive every person. God, we want to, we want to be close to you. Your presence is top priority. And God, any sin that we are hanging on to, God, we repent of. We ask you to forgive us. And God, we bring it to you. We bring it to you and say, help us with this. And we're necessary. We bring it to our life group leader, or we bring it to our husband, or we bring it to our wife and we say you know what if we confess our sins one to another then God will heal us and so I've been dealing with this sin and it's a secret sin and that's why it has mastery over me so I need to tell my husband I need to tell my wife I need to tell my life group leader I need to call a pastor I need to ask for help whatever it is God we're going to deal with this because we don't want it to take us away from you anymore God we want to make your presence the top priority God, we want to stay home with you. We don't want to play the away game. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Listen, if you need prayer, yeah, come on, you can give Jesus praise today. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We want you to come, everybody else. We love you so much. God bless you. I will see you either tonight at the pep rally information's online. If, you, if you're not a part of a serve team, you can sign up tonight. Otherwise, I'll see you next weekend or Saturday at prayer. God bless you. We love you.